You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we do have um, some info coming in that is going to redeem you. So if you all, all right, listened last with week with uh, Dixon on uh, the Goose Hung High episode, Dixon said that the term remonstrances was pronounced remonstrances. <laughs> now, I'm probably saying both of those wrong. You guys not only have a third grade education. <laughs> The, um, we've looked it up and even Dixon has now conceded that Shank was right and he was wrong. We're trying to get that on a recording cause Dixon doesn't give up real easy. But, um, uh, so the correct <laughs> term is remonstrances. There is that you right, go. Shank? That's right. And listen, right. Dixon, what a great guest. Humility just oozes from his pores. Oh yeah. I love it. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, he never agreed to actually come onto the pod. I invited him and he like never replied and he just showed up. Even better. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of strange. Now I do. <laughs> one thing I do have to say, I, uh, if, if you're a current listener, you know that we used to do a, a segment called meeting shrapnel. We've now moved to big book shrapnel, but there were a couple of, meeting shrapnels that we didn't cover that I'm, I'm disappointed in. One of them is put the hearse in reverse. So I think we referenced that one. one. I think we referenced that one. You haven't heard that little once I've heard that one. Maybe once it's my favorite, put the hearse in reverse shank. We never covered it. I think I believe we referenced it in a couple of episodes. I'll go back and find it. You referenced it on the trailer. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Put the hearse in reverse. And uh, so anyway, I think we need to, we may need to discuss that one at some point. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to Alcoholics Live. Glad that uh, that you're listening. We've got a great guest today, and I'm excited about having her on. I'm real excited about our topic as well. So our guest is uh, coming to us from, from Virginia. Her name is Lily. Lily, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We're glad to have you. Um, she's got a couple of nicknames. Keep coming back, kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. Tat- tattooed Lily. Yeah, Tattoo Lily. Yeah. All right. Well, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Lily. I'm an alcoholic. I My sobriety date is September 19th, 2005. I'm originally from California, and I moved up here to Virginia in 2014 for my job. Same reason that anyone anywhere moves to the D.C. metro area is to work. So that is job. that is what brought me up here. Job. Maybe a relationship. Yes. Yeah, that, that could be a two, but I was too sober for that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess uh, to kind of qualify here. I came into the program, you know, 2005, uh, and it wasn't my first introduction to the program. I had been to, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, me personally, my my personal experience is I am not a functional alcoholic at all. So uh, I burned bright and then I crashed right into uh, the core of the earth and then stayed there for a while and did the rehab circuit. I uh, went to five rehabs in total. Nice. Every single one. Yeah. Every single one kicked me out and said the same words, which is that I needed a higher level of care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one. Yes. So uh, they, yeah. So I, I experienced, um, like if there's like, you know, like a wine flight, I experienced like the rehab flight of like mm-hmm. higher levels of care. Um, uh, and then, yeah, uh, it didn't work for me. Um, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not here to criticize rehabs or anything. I, I think it kept, it kept me physically alive, which 
is important because uh, the way that I drank was dangerous to my ability to continue to stay alive. So, uh, but it didn't, it didn't get me sober. Um, every time I got out, I would just go right back. Can't really, I couldn't really explain, you know, why that would happen, but it always did. Um, basically because I didn't have a first step. I was obsessed with the idea that somehow someday I would enjoy my drinking. I did not care about controlling the whole, like, Oh, the great obsession <laughs> controlling and enjoying, like I've never ever to this day had any interest in controlling my drinking, but I did want to enjoy it. I had lost the ability to do that. And I was desperate to, you know, to just crack that, you know, solve that Rubik's cube, you know? So uh, spoiler, I, I did not, I did not ever solve it. <laughs> Otherwise I wouldn't be here, uh, mm -hmm. speaking to you now. So I came into AA, you know, I'd been introduced to AA before I liked AA because I did know that I was alcoholic. I just didn't think that I needed to do anything about that, nor did I have any interest in changing that fact about myself. Um, but it was fun being in a room with people who I related to people who spoke, a language that I could understand people who were alcoholic and I could intuitively sense that about them, that we had a connection, but they were happy, you know, smiling, laughing, having a good time, having friends, you know, and I didn't have that. So I would kind of haunt a rooms every once in a while, you know, <laughs> I would try to get, you know, try to get it together. It wasn't, it was trying to get it together. I, I would hit kind of like um, a wall I won't, it wasn't a bottom, you know, I would hit a wall with my drinking where some, someone or something or some circumstance would force me to stop. Um, or I would hit kind of an emotional wall and I'd be like, God, I got to I don't know. I, I just need to, I kept thinking, I just need to step back. I need to take a little break. And then I need to just then wait for those new ideas to come, you know, wait for that old, you know, the will to win, as like Bill put it somewhere in his story or whatever, like the will to win would would inevitably come back. And I'd I'd latch on to a new idea about how I was going to recapture like the glory days of the past, you know what I mean? Um, and so during one of those times, one of those walls, I hit uh, looking back, honestly, only within the past few months because I really have struggled to explain like what was different about the last time I ever had a drink. Um, cause there wasn't really anything different about it. Um, but just in the last couple of months, I think some things have kind of just clicked into place for me. And that is the last few drinks I had. Um, I had a, a small kind of string where I was drinking, I was getting drunk, but it, it wasn't working for me. I was, it, I was had some like bad drunks all all lined up together. Nothing bad, not the kind of bad drunk where it's something else happens and someone's mad at me, but the kind where I drink and I'm just miserable. I'm just unhappy. It just unleashes all the anger and the sadness and I can't have fun and it's just it's almost it's honestly making me feel worse. Um so when I came into the rooms and people were saying things out of context, like I drank and I couldn't get drunk. And I was like, what, what is that? What is that? I don't know what you're, yep. of course you got drunk. That's science. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but that's what they meant. That just clicked like just now, um, you know, like in like the last two months. So it took me only 17 years to figure out what they were saying with that. So fun, fun for me, <laughs> slow learner, but yeah, like that's what was happening to me. I was drinking and I couldn't get drunk. Alcohol was not producing the effect that I needed it to produce. So I thought I got to take a step back. I got to figure this out. And I came to AA. Um, I came to a meeting. And as I was sitting in this meeting, it's not really what happened that brought me there. It's what happened when I sat in that meeting and what I did after that, because I had this thought that I really believed to be divinely inspired. And I'm sitting in the meeting and I thought, man, I've done everything. Like I've really done everything. Except the one thing I haven't done is I've never done the steps like all the way through, you know, I've never right. actually gotten a sponsor. I've gotten a sponsor in name only. I've done the one, two, three shuffle. I've never done a four step. 
not because I was afraid of it, because I honestly thought it was stupid. I thought mm -hmm. like I've had therapists, I've had like, you know, all, everything that like money and medicine can throw at me, like, and you're going to have me writing here, like Mr. Brown and his attention to my wife. Like, I just was like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> so I, I just, you know, um, so I thought I, maybe I'll just get a sponsor. I mean, it can't hurt. I'm going to drink in like two weeks anyways. Like it'll mm -hmm. just happen to me, you know? So so I, I asked a woman to be my sponsor. Um, I didn't know her at all. I'd never seen her before. I'd never been to a meeting with her. I didn't pick someone like, oh, pick someone with who's got what you want, whatever. This is all good advice. But for me, I just like grabbed somebody. <laughs> um, and that woman took me through the steps. Uh, I met with her every week. I went to a ton of meetings. I went to two to three meetings a day, every day for my first year. I basically lived at an Alano club because I just didn't have anything else to do. I had no friends. I had nothing going on. I had no job. I had no school, no nothing. So I just spent all my time there. Also, it was excruciating to be sober. It was so hard. I was so crazy. I did get relief from meetings. I would wake up and roll into the noon meeting, I would like wake up and leave and go to the noon meeting because I wasn't like getting up at like a reasonable adult time. Um, and I would go to this <laughs> meeting, it felt so crazy. And I would get relief from the meeting. I'd leave the meeting feeling like high. I felt like I was drunk, like leaving the meeting. So it was so like good for me, like it was nourishing. And that would last about three to four hours. Um, and then I, the crazy would start like creeping back in my yep. head would start, like, it would just, I'd start feeling really wound up again. And so then I go to like the 5 PM meeting and then I go to the seven 30, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of strung my days together that way. And I'd stay up till 3 AM thinking about things and, and, <laughs> you know, negotiating yeah. with God, you know, or something that I'm like, if I still want to drink like this, this in the next morning, I'm going to do it. And I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. Definitely going to drink tomorrow. And then I go to sleep and wake up and go to the meeting. And I'd be like, okay, I can put it off for another day. And I did the steps, you know, kind of week by week. And then I started looking. And then one day it's like that obsession had been lifted and I started to feel like better, a little bit happier. Um, and that's, you know, I was experiencing the spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, and I have been sober ever since. So that that thought of like, nice. the just do the steps, right? Just do those steps, all 12 of them. And then practice your 12th step too. That's a step, right? Get those sponsees, like get in service, help new people. Yeah. That is it. That's it. Here I am. Not, and here you are. Here yep. you are. Keep, the keep here coming back kid is here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm back. Mm -hmm. Stark Raven sober. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're glad you yes. got sober. Thank yeah. you. Shank, what's you. the topic today? The topic today is frothy emotional appeal. So now that we have heard some of Lily's qualification here, we know that she was hit with the frothy emotional appeal here and there. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, a lot of it. So where this comes from in the big book is... Um, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read what it says. I will admit that I had no clue and also did not care about what frothy emotional appeal was. I don't know until several years into my sobriety. And I will tell you, there were people that told me exactly what it meant. Um, it, I just, I was able to stay sober without knowing I do know now. Okay. So this is what it, um, this is what it says. And this is on page xxviii in the big book the fourth edition um so it says frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight in nearly all cases their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives that's what wow. it says yes Wow. Yeah. I just yeah. have no idea. I really just also did not care. Like we would read this part in the doctor's opinion and, you know, a few sentences before I could understand a few sentences down below. I could understand. It goes on to talk about men and women drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol at some point. Great, great, great. Love all that. 
um, did not understand for all the emotional appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Lily, you got any experience uh, with that? Yes. So um, the first part, this whole frothy emotional appeal, uh, this I definitely understood. The frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, right? Because I had, you know, people who loved me, my parents and, and people who I was actively hurting appealing to me to get sober, like begging, pleading. I knew I was hurting them. Um, but I also just couldn't, uh, it, it couldn't, it didn't stop me from drinking. I just really was trying to figure out how I could drink. I didn't want to hurt people, but I was trying so hard to figure out how I could drink and not hurt people, but I wasn't willing to give up the drink in order to not hurt people. You know, right. um, and this whole the message which can interest and hold these alcoholics must hold depth and weight. Um, to me, that was definitely the steps and the program and this idea when I first came in, you know, that even this idea that I didn't know what it what it was, but this demonstration of alcoholics being happy, living, talking about the program steps they were doing, how they were practicing these principles, that was interesting to me. Um, and I liked this, this idea. I just, I couldn't quite grasp it yet. Um, it's kind of funny in my book I have here, I literally did underline in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. I don't know why I definitely underlined that just because I thought it was the right thing to underline. (laughs) (laughs) I have so much of that. I have so much of that in my book. I love like having the right answer, you know? So, um, but yeah, I did not understand this idea that, um, this idea of like a higher power or that I was going to have to build a spiritual relationship and that that relationship is going to be the underpinning of like what I'm going to build my entire life on and something that that I hadn't thought about until you mentioned it Lily Mm -hmm. I went to a treatment center I went to two I was sober after the first um the state of North Carolina made me go to the second one but what reminded me of it is you talking about going to all these treatment centers and just like not getting it not caring I they told me a lot of good information and treatment I went for 30 days great love it I've shared on this podcast before, I learned I should be doing cocaine so that I should stay up longer so I could drink more. Um, And they gave us charts and graphs about what alcohol does in the brain, what it does in the body, what it turns into, blah, blah, blah. And like all of that was fine. Like I do not remember it to this day. I remember being like, oh, that's interesting. But that's not why I'm sober today. And it kind Mm -hmm. of reminds me of like, Thanks for the information, you know, Mm. like that is not Mm. going to get or keep me sober. And in a way that's kind of that um, frothy emotional appeal in a way like that was not speaking to me. Like I am a real alcoholic and you can get up there and teach me all kinds of stuff about intellectually why I drink and it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny, like step two. I really didn't have like a real step two until like 10 years into sobriety. So I always tell people like, you know, this whole uh, that, you know, a leaves a lot of room for us to be to grow. Right. Uh, And but in step three, when I first approached step three, this idea that I turn my will and my life over the care of a God that I understand, um, that was such a relief to me, actually, in in the first my first pass at it. This idea that that my life is going to be grounded in a power greater than myself, that basically not every single decision comes down to me, that I have, the, you know, this delusion that I have the power and my influence extends so far out beyond myself and that I have that my decisions, you know, are going to affect me and this and set in motion a butterfly effect that's going to change my whole life. You know, that's like the the weight that I was living under because I was totally in delusion about how much power I actually have, even like outside of the drink. I thought I had power over the drink. I thought I had power 
to, you know, to manage my life somehow to include drinking, that delusion really extended like well into my sobriety. So, so coming in and like having this first little kind of taste of a third step, I remember being like, wow, I can like pray about things, you know, like I could just, I didn't even honestly, like looking back, I don't really even know what I was thinking I was praying to. I didn't have like a strong, strong belief, but just this sort of idea that I was like, I don't have to worry about this. Like I just, you know, it was really, really helpful. And that like very simple, very seemingly, you know, um, very, you know, flimsy read type of idea Mm -hmm. was extremely weighty for me like this instead of like what you're saying instead of being like well alcohol does this and all this kind of information about Mm -hmm. why i shouldn't drink this simple idea of like i don't have to you know i can just give all the reasons that i drink you know all the things that are the internal struggle that is causing me to drink because i have a spiritual malady that is what i can just give over to god you know, in in big and small, that was like, so helpful to me. Well, let's ask the old timer. Uh, Everyone (laughs) listening, we have our big book old timer, Jay Uh, Wayne. uh, He recently had an anniversary. What was that? The second July 2nd. So everyone send him his well wishes and uh, digital froth chips, if you will. Keep the chips. What do you think about? Did you understand frothy emotional appeal? Well, first off, chips are probably one of the biggest forms of froth that there is in AA, <laughs> just for the record. Hey, a frothy emotional pill would keep you sober or get you sober and knowledge would get you sober. I would have gotten sober when I was 17. I I, um, I can remember I got caught intoxicated and selling drugs at school and was <laughs> was immediately expelled for the rest of the year from the Fairfax County school system, by the way. And, um, but they made me go to this outpatient thing and man, they filled you full of, of information and scared straight was, was big. And they were trying to scare (laughs) kids into getting, getting sober and straight. And I thought it was all a big joke. I mean, I, I, I was selling speed to some of the other, other, the other clients in there and, uh, was going in intoxicated. Um, but that didn't keep me, it didn't keep me sober. And, and the, you know, towards the end of my drinking, I had so many people like beg and plead for me to stop, you know, parents and in-laws and preachers and, uh, you know, people gave me ultimatums and things like that. And none of that stuff ever worked love of, 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 of a parent or a, a, a spouse threats from the air force. Um, you know, and I was actually trying to, to get sober. I mean, I was trying to get my life in order, but none of that stuff. I mean, I, I didn't realize I was alcoholic and it wasn't until, you know, I was sitting in a detox with no real clue why I was there. Well, I knew why I was there, but I didn't know what it was. And a guy from Alcoholics Anonymous came in and talked to me. And when the reading talks about depth and weight, um, and I wouldn't have known those words then, but that's what he hit me with. He, he talked about his own experience and he talked about what it meant to be alcoholic and as, as screwed up as I was, I, I identified with what he was saying and he didn't hit me with a bunch of slogans and jargon and, you know, um, you know, goofy sayings he just basically shared his experience and i've been sober ever since so the best definition i could kind of find um what that i understood was um saying that it's like bubbly and like a bubbly and frothy drink that looks appealing and enjoyable but it lacks substance or depth and that this, you know, the, the appeal is not grounded in any logical reasoning or solid evidence. It just creates a sense of excitement or passion for your emotions. That's interesting. So that, 
that all sounds very wordy to me. Okay. So also let emotional manipulation or emotional sensationalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like this, that, that actually makes a lot of uh, sense to me. I think that the, the weightiest and the, the heaviest thing that I was seeing when I came into AA was definitely the idea of attraction rather than promotion, watching people just live their lives, knowing that they were like me and seeing like genuine, you know, their genuine, like good life, happy, whatever that was hitting me really, really hard. I think this brought the emotional appeal, this idea that you're talking about of that it's, um, I totally immediately just forgot what the definition was, but what I wanted to say about it was uh, this idea that people um, would come to me and say, you know, that you can get better, you can whatever, you can, you please just get better, please stop, please whatever. I felt like I had totally lost connection with what my life could be. I really felt like I had been severed off um, in a place where there was just, a big cliff and, and there was nowhere to go other than to drink. So when people were saying, you know, get sober, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of like, for what, for what? Cause I didn't, I had okay. lost complete sense of like who I was. I felt so broken, you know, I, it was like, okay, get sober, but why? Like, I can't make friends. I, I can't go to school. I can't get a job. I can't, I'm totally, I'm a useless human being i'm just a carcass wandering around there's nothing for me here in this the only thing i know how to do is drink and i had just that's really how i felt i felt it was the only thing i was good at it's the only thing you know and this is ironic because i am was one of the people who has great promise right all this stuff i was doing really well in life right up and, you know, on the outside, but on the inside, it was killing me. And then I destroyed all the outside things and just felt like, well, now it matches. Now the outside matches my insides. And so people saying, you know, get better, like the sensationalizing of like what life could be. I knew in my heart of hearts, like my life can't be like that. I can't, I, I am, I'm doing this cause I need to do it. I cannot not drink. So that, you know, when I, when Alcoholics Anonymous showed me people who were like me and now living that life that other people, that non-alcoholic people and people who love me were promising me that I could live, it was proof. It was proof to me. It yeah. gave me something. It gave me like a little flicker of hope and a curiosity. I was wondering what these people were doing. I still didn't think I could do it, but I, I was curious about how this occurred, you know? Yeah. You know, and the reality is there are actually people that can sober up or moderate based what? on what everyone's not an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. The book describes them very well. They, it, the book describes them as moderate drinkers or heavy drinkers that if given a sufficiently strong reason or, uh, you know, health reasons, or the demand of a loved one or employer, they can actually stop or moderate. Yes. So, yeah. And it's, I have so much can, to say about this, actually. It can, it can be very confusing for a non-alcoholic to see that and to, to, to understand that. Yes. So I just read this portion with a sponsee yesterday. Um, this idea of, uh, the actual or the potential alcoholic, this is a huge tripping point for a lot of people who are, you know, maybe approaching their bottom, approaching their first step, you know, new alcoholics who come in and, and we're reading the book together and they say, well, maybe I'm just a, a, a potential alcoholic, right? Well, here's the deal. An alcoholic, we all know what that is, right? A potential alcoholic is an alcoholic who, you know, essentially... Uh, maybe hasn't crossed the invisible line that they will need a spiritual program to stop. But total abstinence is required for both parties. If you're an alcoholic, the only way to live is total abstinence. If you're a potential alcoholic, you still have to have total abstinence. You still have to quit drinking or you're just going to become an alcoholic. The only difference is that the alcoholic needs a spiritual solution, right? Like Alcoholics Anonymous. The potential alcoholic or the heavy drinker or the moderate drinker 
they still need to stop. They just don't necessarily or may not necessarily need a spiritual solution in order to stop. So if their wife or their husband says, I'm leaving you, their job fires them, you know, they hit one of those emotional walls and they say, I got to stop. And they find that they can stop. But the punchline is that you both have to stop. You know what I mean? Both the potential and the actual alcoholic must maintain abstinence from alcohol. It's just that the alcoholic, if we have, if our illness has progressed to the point um, of total alcoholism, we need a spiritual solution. You know, at this point, doctors, you know, rehabs, love, parents, consequences won't stop me. The only thing that will stop is stemming the emotional damage that is occurring, you know, the spiritual damage that is occurring so that I can kind of, so that I can maintain sobriety. uh, I love that the big book tells us that we don't have the monopoly on God. Yes. And, you know, I, I certainly don't have the monopoly on sobriety. Um, Mm -hmm. so what this really makes me think if someone tells me to your, if someone tells me they don't think they're an alcoholic or they're a potential alcoholic or they don't need, they can stop. I think that that is amazing. It's not my experience. So they probably don't need AA. Like maybe you can go do something else. Maybe you cross that line at some point, but there is someone who is an alcoholic for sure that I can be helping. Mm -hmm. Um, I love where it says in the book. And I really, I personally don't relate to this. Um, where it talks about like how many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he, why can't you drink like a gentleman? That fellow can't handle his liquor. And it goes on and on and on. And I could understand like those terms. I surrounded myself with people who drank the way I drank. And if you didn't, I wasn't going to be surrounded by you. But what this does make me think of, you know, when the last several years, when I think of frothy emotional appeal, I think of what we talked about in our first couple of seasons about the meeting shrapnel of how we do this to people in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, people come in and we're like, you know, uh, do a fourth or you'll drink a fifth and stick and stay first things for, you know, just like Drop whatever the rock. some of this stuff is. Drop the rock. Um, <laughs> just some of these things that you know, it works if you work it one day at a time. I'm not saying that these things on their face are bad, but it is trying to, to, to get them in that emotional state where it's like, you know, jails, institutions, and death. Like I didn't get sober out of fear. Like that wouldn't have kept me sober. Um, There was a period of time before I went to treatment that I did not drink. And maybe that was a brief amount of time I was able to to not drink, but I just, yeah. I think I, that we do this a lot in AA. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the biggest issues. I mean, we wouldn't call it frothy emotional appeal, but it's probably one of the bigger issues in Alcoholics Anonymous right now is that we, we don't really do like a thorough step one with people. And we want to, I mean, you'll see it at, a, at any meeting tonight or any group, a new person will come in and we'll want to start talking to them about circumstances and the warrants and their wife leaving them or DOT not giving their license back or whatever it is. And none of that. And then we'll plead with them, you know, and before we even know what their problem is, we're telling them to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. We're throwing a meeting directory in front of their face with a bunch of phone numbers that they're never going to use. And instead of actually having an honest conversation with them, like that guy did with me in detox, or talking to them about their drinking and showing them what it actually means to be alcoholic or not. And, you know, we just want to plead with people and beg them and, and uh, it's just, it never works. My sponsor does not beg me to get or stay sober or participate in AA, nor would she ever. Yeah. You know, she'll call and check in on me and be like, haven't heard from you a while or her memory's kind of going. So maybe she did hear from me yesterday, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's never been this thing. Like my sobriety is on me. It's not on anyone else. And I think too, you know, 
I hear in a lot of people's story is just as like so unrelatable. Sometimes you don't have to go to prison to get sober. That's what happened to me. I got sober before I went to prison, but you don't have to do that. Not everyone gets caught drinking and driving or commits crimes or any of that. And to me, it's just kind of like, you know, people are like, well, I got the house and I got the car and I got, and it's all because of AA. And Mm -hmm. sure. You started Mm -hmm. living a different way. You cleaned up your past. You try to help others. You would hope, but AA doesn't promise any of that. It took almost five years for me to get a driver's license. While I'm listening to all these people say, I started working the steps and God helped me not have 25 felonies. And I got a car and a driver's license and a brand new (laughs) house. And like none of that was happening to me. I lived in a studio apartment that was not Mm. bad, but not that nice. didn't have a driver's license, you know? Um, So there were times where I was just like, I wish people would stop saying that because alcoholics come in and they're like, well, you know, such and such said that he got a hot wife after two years and that's not happening for me i've been working this stuff it's like um that that's not get good a promise of aa yeah i think that slogans are slogan uh so in the meetings that i'm going to now kind of a is interesting because uh there's definitely like cultural differences in different areas of the country where AA is happening right so i'm not in the in the area that I'm in now, there's not a lot of slogan talk or anything like that, or, or these little sayings that are very confusing. But when I got sober, oh boy, like in, you know, in California, there was a lot of that. Um, a lot of slogans and people saying things that rhymed, you know, and like uh, saying a lot of things kind of out of context, uh, yeah. even reading things out of context at the beginning or the end of the meetings that was very confusing for me. And, uh, you know, like people would read the, pro- I, there was some meetings where a lot of times they'd read the promises. Right. And I thought that was the, pro- I honestly, literally, cause I, I'd never read the book and I didn't have a sponsor right. and, and maybe people did reach out, but I honestly don't remember necessarily you know anyone specifically reaching out like you were saying and and like sitting me down and being like hey let's talk like what's going on with you you know like tell me about you let me tell you about so a lot of this stuff i was just sort of trying to pick up by osmosis so this whole reading the promises i truly thought that those were the promises that that you get when you come to meetings if you keep coming to meetings that these promises will happen for you and i went there was a period of time where i was going to meetings for nine months. I had, I'd been in rehab for six, six months. Uh, and I, and I'd spent, and I was three for three months after that meeting, after that rehab, I really, I did want to try. And I thought I was really doing the right thing by going to this meeting, the five thirty meeting every single day. Um, but nothing was happening for me because I didn't understand what people were saying. You know, I was getting emotional, some relief from going to the meetings and I made some friends, but it was like something, you know, small, so small happened in my personal life. I got in an argument with my roommate at my sober living house and I was like, I'm moving out. So I moved into my car, you know, just, <laughs> um, you know, and then I was out nice. because it's just, it only takes one little thing, you know, when you're just kind of teetering, um, so yeah, that that was really confusing to me. The the slogans. Also, when people read, um, people read uh, how it works, you know, out of context, and they say, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who cannot, those who cannot, are people who those who don't or whatever, are people who cannot, will not, or cannot freely give themselves to this to this program and they're constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves and they're such unfortunates right i heard that that's all i read you know and then they read the whole thing through the steps all right. blah, blah, blah. i heard that and i thought oh my god that's me that's me i'm the unfortunate one i am con- i was like honest oh my god like oh no you know cuz i lied about everything i lied about things I didn't know how to tell the truth. Like, absolutely. Like, and I didn't want to give it up. I just was like, well, when I tell the truth, people get mad and they hate me. So I'm going to lie about everything. So this idea that I had to be constitutionally, you know, honest, whatever that was going in my head. I didn't realize if someone has sat me down, I point this out to every single person I work with now that this book, if you're just reading that, um, (laughs) 
they are talking about in context from, you know, page zero to page, whatever that is, they are speaking to someone as if they've never heard of the steps, never heard of the program, as if you got this book in the mail sent to you in 1939, you know? So there's, and all they've talked about up until that page is alcoholism. The doctor's opinion on alcoholism. There is a solution from alcoholism, uh, more about alcoholism. We agnostics, you know, more, a little bit about God, you know, whatever, and they're about to reveal the steps. So they're saying, okay, listen, by this point, if you are constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself, that you are an alcoholic, then, you know, your chances are going to be less than average, but not zero. You know, they're just saying, you know, it's a simple, pro you do have to believe by page 58, when we've hammered you about alcoholism, you got to believe you're an alcoholic by this point. And if you don't just close the book and, and come back. I was right. thinking honesty in terms of like, you know, honest, you know, psychological, philosophical, honestly, not, you know, am I, can I be honest with myself? Are you an alcoholic? Lily, are you an alcoholic? Can you be honest with yourself about that? Can you accept that? You know, are you ready for your first step? Like, yes, the answer would have been yes. But people didn't, like you're saying, like they didn't sit me down. I think it is so important, like you're saying, to to, to take that personal touch to when you see new people, pull them aside, you know, of course, talk to them at the meeting, but they're getting mobbed, like you're saying, by everyone at the meeting. Everyone's giving them numbers and where and when's and this and that. Get their number. Call them the next day because nobody calls them the next day or send them a text, right? We're in the year of our Lord 2023. You know what I mean? It's okay to text, you know? So, like, send them a text or call, you know, see if you can corner them into a coffee meeting and sit down with them and talk to them, you know, at, hear what their actual questions are about, you know, themselves, sobriety, share your story. You know, that, that really is going to cut through all of the slogans and the confusing stuff in the sayings. I just yeah. think it's so important. Okay. It'll I'm getting off my that, soapbox now. It'll cut through the froth. Yes. So yeah. since frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, Jay Wayne, yep. what will suffice? Well, what will suffice is trust God, clean house, and help others. I love the, 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 the sentence in the book, it's on page 93. It says, to be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. So. Yeah. The 12 steps is the answer to our problem and forming a relationship with a power greater than ourselves is really the solution. So stay away from the froth out there and try to uh, focus <laughs> on uh, taking the steps out of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And remember, Alcoholics Anonymous is actually a book. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's move on to big book shrapnel, Shank. All right. So What's big our... book shrapnel number one. And just to let you know, um, TL, we are going to either keep or translate um, our big book shrapnel. So big book shrapnel um, is sayings frequently heard from the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, or sayings that I personally do not understand, maybe still to this day, 10 years later. <laughs> Okay, so number one is they suspect father is a bit balmy. It comes from page 128, and this is uh, kind of the sentence paragraph where it comes from. They may not see why their love and devotion did not straighten him out. Dad is not so spiritual after all, they say. If he means to right his past wrongs, why all this concern for everyone in the world except his family? What about his talk that God will take care of them? They suspect father is a bit balmy. <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, I actually, okay, this... I actually what they're, think what they're saying is actually very important, but it is um, it is kind of funny because, yeah, like, so why all this concern for everyone in the world but family? 
Okay, they're saying this guy is probably the guy who's taking, you know, his, his you know, his sobriety and AA, whatever, maybe a little too far where he's truly neglecting his family. But I actually think this is really important for people with long-term sobriety. I see this, um, just speaking in, for myself, my own community, I see this occurring with women, uh, long, women with long-term sobriety, like a lot. Um, and that is after you get long-term sobriety, you know, you maybe you get married or you have children, you have family, whatever. And um, I you think disappear. it is, yes, yes. Being a woman with long-term sobriety is kind of like being an endangered species, I feel sometimes. And it's, it's lonely, honestly. And it makes it, I, I wish, and I really think that it is critically important for long-term sobriety that you set expectations with anyone that you're becoming involved with like at the outset, you know, because it is difficult. I'm married to a non-alcoholic person. Um, and so I knew that it was important that when we were becoming, you know, very close, our relationship is obviously going in, in a certain direction to sit down and explain like why, what I'm doing, why I do this, that it's not ever going to, it's never going to change, that this is what you're getting now and it's what you're getting forever and that what I do allows me to be the person that you love. Um, because, and, and cause it is, it can be difficult for people, family members, whatever, to sort of comprehend why you have to keep doing this. They get blessedly, they get used to you being like a kind, loving, you know, whatever, wonderful, devoted partner, mother, father, whatever, whatever you are. Um, and they don't let me let me give you the definition of balmy yeah so balmy is a british english slang term that means foolish crazy or slightly mad yes (laughs) so um i think maybe in this context they have no understanding and maybe your husband feels this way at times like oh my gosh is she just like so mad so eccentric or strange that she's spending all of her time with these people that don't drink like why doesn't she just want to participate in our life together at home Mm, yeah it's definitely like this is i think something that everyone you know kind of kind of hits at some point where you have to set those firm boundaries explain why you're doing it's not i mean for for me personally like he's extremely supportive of you know my program whatever but uh if he wasn't i we either wouldn't our relationship would not have lasted this long um or yeah probably just that because i'm not not gonna change what i'm doing i can't you know so old time what were you saying father is a bit i was a bit balmy when (laughs) when uh when i got when i first got sober i was um married barely but went to a lot of meetings started doing prayer and reading stuff and started talking to a lot of people and would miss probably things that i should have been at that were family or work related would miss those to go to the to the candlelight meeting or uh, to, the, to the lunch meeting, and I was telling people they needed to get my brand of sobriety or they or my brand of spirituality. Uh-huh. Okay. So I was a uh, I was a few sandwiches short of a picnic. <laughs> 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 um, but I don't think many people today would know what the term means. The the actual mm-hmm. term they suspect follows a bit balmy, but I. Uh, it, it, I think it fits. I think this happens to a lot of people. And that mm-hmm. that behavior can look almost as irresponsible as drinking to a family member or to a non-alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hank, what do you think? Yes. Yeah. Um, you bomb me? Once again, probably what brought this to the forefront of my mind recently is um, an Instagram account. So with that now, I was like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does balmy mean? Uh, and I kind of looked it up. You know... One of the, I think that a few sandwiches short of a picnic just sums it up for me. You know, like my family didn't think that about me until I got sober. And similar to what Lily was saying, my family was just like, they heard an attorney, you know, in a group of us together say that he didn't think I was an alcoholic. I was just young and this thing happened. And, um, 
So I do think they thought I was a little bit quirky or strange or whatever. Off your rocker. Off my rocker to continue showing up in AA when A, I still had to go to prison. It didn't help that situation. Um, And B, the attorney sat there and said he didn't think I was an alcoholic. Like, come on, Susie. So um, I kind of think it fits, though. I like, you know, they suspect father is a bit balmy. I don't think we need to necessarily translate that one. I don't think so either. I think we should probably just keep it. Lily, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that, like, right. you know, it's it's pretty typical to expect some kind of confusion about, like, what AA is, what you're doing there, why, you know. And the important thing is you don't really have to answer those questions. You just have to make sure you're meeting your family responsibilities, you know, uh, like you said, Jay, not neglecting your family, but also remembering to keep AA, like, at the center of your life. That's right. All right. All right. We're going to keep a bit uh, father. We suspect father's a bit balmy. Bit balmy. Staying, We're keeping that Staying one. in the book. All right. <laughs> What's next? Next up, we have scoff and be damned. Ooh. So this one, drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of Fairweather friends. Scoffers could scoff and be and damned. Be damned. Uh, now, we usually don't curse on this podcast, but we're making an exception because this is in the book. It's in the book. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing about, you know, I mean, this is like his story, Bill's story, right? And he's a stock market guy. And, you know, this requires some historical knowledge, I guess, about the the late 1920s stock market boom, of which I have very little knowledge, and then the crash that led to the Great Depression. So it now, like reading, I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting to hear like the first person account of like what that time was like. But as a new person, when I read this, oh my God, my eyes were glazing over. I was like, what is this? Like, oh my God, it was... It was a tough read for me at first because I just yeah. did not understand this at all. I just was so bored. Yeah. Scoff and be damned. So Shane. Scoff and be I'm damned, go- yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm a, I'm assuming it means that they're like they're in disbelief or they, they're not buying it and they basically just say the heck with it. Yeah. I'm gonna call so. I'm gonna call for a translation on this one. What's, okay. Do you have okay. What's a what's a translation? I do. I have one ready for this one. So, um, scoff and be damned is a variation of a more common expression, "damn and be damned." Okay, so that just left me even more confused. Um, but it is an idiom that conveys defiant or dismissive attitude. Okay. So that I'm very familiar with both of those terms. <laughs> Um, so the translation is, okay, y'all are going to love this one. This is like a modern translation, right? This is a modern translation that will, you know, kind of convey the same attitude of scoff and be damned is haters gonna hate. Yes! That, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that actually, that's great. That makes... Haters a lot more sense hate. to me. Haters so you hate. know you have uh, everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Haters gonna hate. I mean, I'm gonna use that <laughs> from now on. I'm gonna get me a pen. I'm writing this in the so, in the margins. Hold on, so, I'm literally getting a pen right now. For Haters those of you that hate. yeah, for those of you that don't know the the. the the conference, the General Service Conference approved what they call a plain language translation of the book. So we're kind of just helping them out with some with some terms when they when they rewrite it. So free of charge, free of charge. So haters going to hate. I um, well, I think that works. Literally in there now. All right, Lily, she wrote it in her book. I'm going to get it in mine, too. So funny. I think that's. I'm going with that. Okay, yeah. you like that one? What do you think? Yeah. Love it. Love it. 
10 out of 10. Okay, there we go. Shake. Hey, we have we have our first translation. So from now on, I don't want to hear y'all say scoff and be damned. I want to hear y'all saying haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. That's funny. I didn't think we'd actually get have agree on any translations, but I like that one. That one's pretty All good. Right. So the What's last next? big book shrapnel for today is the devil may care chap. So mm. this um, is from page 159. It says he now returned home, leaving behind his first acquaintance, the lawyer and the devil may care chap. These men had found something brand new in life. Though they knew they must help out other alcoholics if they were to remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. That's on page 159 in the book. So this is something else that, um, I don't know, every time I read this in the big book, I was like, okay, you have this juxtaposition of an attorney and a devil may care chap so i'm just like then that's like the opposite of an attorney that's a criminal or a felon or someone you know um i never really knew what it meant mm. the devil may care chap um what the i guess that's a guy that just doesn't have any concern for he's just reckless so yeah. the the throw caution in the could, wind yes wild, the best that i could kind ones. of tell it was someone who just like had a very carefree attitude about life you know it really is the opposite of what you may think of an attorney like an attorney is someone that follows the law and crosses her t's and dots their eyes and the devil may care chap is like running red lights you know just like barely peeling in um, yeah. type of person I think this is like an uh, an illustration of like the uh, we are people who normally would not mix, mm -hmm. maybe uh, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Because what they had an attorney, a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, it had and yeah, and, uh, make tap, who, and I a guess physician. Didn't have a job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he was young. I think he was twenty nine. And um, he probably didn't have a job, and he, it sounds like he may have still been living with his parents. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that's nothing yeah. new. We act like stuff like that's new. It's not. It is yeah. not. That yeah. make care he wouldn't have, I, have a job because everyone else they were like, oh, the lawyer, the whatever, and then they're like, this guy, ooh, you know, <laughs> the devil may care, may care job. So I do want to tell y'all my translation for this. It doesn't necessarily fit perfectly, okay, but. I do want to give y'all my translation to see what you think. All right. What is it? Okay. So for the devil make care chap, um, kind of what I came up with is uh, YOLO. You mm. only live once, baby. <laughs> so yo, like I think of someone who's like, I don't know, a little bit younger. They're impulsive. They're like, oh, you only live once. Go on the trip. You know, like. Yeah. Drain your bank account, buy Beyonce tickets, or whatever the thing is. Like, nice. YOLO. Yeah. YOLO. It's good. It's good. I, it's really good. It's a good one. I think we should bring the Devil May Care Chap term back. Oh, now that's we should an start, idea. We should start using it in meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I should just Definitely. describe myself that way because that's how I was when I yep. arrived here. <laughs> oh, Shank, you know, she's a Devil May Care gal. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Dilly's really flirting with the devil there. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I'm, like I'm going to vote to keep the devil, devil may care chap. I like um, your little addition, Wayne, to bring it back. So yeah, I'm we should start. start yeah, bring We should start using in. it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's kind of a mouthful. That's my only critique of it. it the devil may care. It, devil may it care is. Chap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Devil may care. Well, we could say yeah. just like a DMC chap. The DMC, you know I like that better. I the like DMC that. chap. She's on the DMC. He's on <laughs> yeah, the DMC. Like that. yeah. That's better. That that's is good. That's better for me. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'm going to keep it. What do you think, Lily? 
Why not? Keep it. Okay. Yeah, Jay I, Wayne. Think, I think I'm keeping it. All right. Yep. I think I'm keeping it. Well, Lily, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. It's been it's been great. No problem. It's been a it's, pleasure. It's been very fun and um reminder that uh if your uh ideals are grounded in a power greater than yourself, at least according to Dr. Silkworth, you can recreate mm. your life. Yeah. And that's what we have found in Alcoholics Anonymous. So um 100%. take the take the steps and be free. Freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode. <laughs>